0: To join us and worship together. It's always good to be together and worship. It's different than uh, doing it on your own. There's something just special that happens when we uh, join our hearts and our voices to worship our God. Would you pray with me? Father God, I praise you for your goodness and your mercy, for your love and for the hope that you bring, and the fact that, Lord, um, we don't have to fight these battles that are waged against us, and the truth is that uh, your word tells us it's not flesh and blood that we're fighting against, but against the enemy of this world, the powers and principalities of this world that would want to destroy what you've done, destroy your hope. But Lord, you're greater than that, and we praise you for that. We praise you that we could be in your presence. We praise you that we could trust you and love you, and uh, we just want to tell you that today, that we love you. We want to worship you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's continue worshiping together.
1: called Holy Water.
2: It is great to see you. I hope you had a fantastic Christmas, had a chance to spend some good time with family and friends, reflect on the gift of Christ to this world and how it changed everything for you and I. So today we wanna celebrate, we wanna get back in the scripture together, look at an amazingly powerful story. Before we do that, I've got a couple announcements quick to share with you. The first one is, I want you to take out your cell phone, and I want you to text somebody, hey, I'm thinking about you, praying for you." just a quick word of encouragement. Being online, it's always important for us to stay connected with each other. So do that real quick, take out your cell phone, shoot somebody a quick text. Also, I wanna remind you, on our website, newlifecc.com, there are some additional resources for you. So you can you can pause the video. You can go there now and look at those. You can look at them after. But don't forget to check those out. NewLifeCC.com. There's additional resources for you and your family to take a look at. Okay, also, if you have a prayer request, I want you to text the word PRAYERS, P-R-A-Y-E-R-S, to the number 30500. Our staff gets those immediately. We love to pray for those, even through these Christmas holidays, so please make sure you do that. If there's either something you're celebrating or something that you would like to ask prayer for, take a moment, text the word PRAYERS to 30500, and we would love to join you in prayer or in celebrating what God's done in your life. And then finally, this is the time in our service where if we were assembled together We would give you an opportunity to give back to the Lord your tithes and offerings I want you to just take a moment again. You can do it on your cell phone You can do it on your computer You can do it on a tablet. You can give through our app as well I know many of you do that. You can also mail it in the address is on the bottom of the screen below me P.O. Box 782 so go ahead and do that. This is your opportunity to do that again. Thank you church. It's an amazing It's been an amazingly tough year for so many of us, but you guys have remained faithful. You've allowed us to continue to serve God, to operate, to communicate the truth of who God is, to serve this community. So thank you for your generosity in that church. This is your opportunity to give at this time. Okay, I want to pray for us, and then we're going to get into a passage of scripture that I think has some very powerful stories of hope as we both look back over this previous year and look forward to what God has ahead. So let's pray together. Father, we, we recognize that this year has not been anything that any of us expected. And yet, you knew in advance what was going to happen. You're in control. You faithfully walked with us through this incredibly challenging season. And so, Lord, as we uh, take today to look at your word and we kind of wrap up 2020, and we look forward to what you have for us in 2021, I pray, God, as we talk today— that you would open our spiritual eyes to see the truth of your word and what it is you want to speak into us today. God, give us eyes to see what we didn't see before. Give us ears to hear what your spirit wants to speak into us. And give us the ability to live the lives of faith that you call us to. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Well, when I turned 40... Uh, My eye doctor, I remember sitting in the chair, and I've had contact since I was about 11 years old. My vision is terrible. I'm literally blind from about probably 12 to 18 inches out and beyond. Everything's just a blur. So 40 years old, I was sitting in the chair in my doctor's office, and he said to me, he goes, Brett, just so you know, in about any time between the next two to five years, you're going to start doing this with stuff you're looking at. And I was like, no, doc, I can see perfectly, I'm, I'm fine. He goes, no, it, it's gonna happen, it happens to everybody. Well, I thought, it's not gonna happen to me, I've got really good vision, now with my contacts, I'm 20-20, so I really thought, this is not gonna happen to me. But crazy thing, at about 45 years old, I was laying underneath my pickup truck one day working on something, and it was fuzzy, and I was thinking, well, maybe I don't have enough light under the truck, so I went and got a light and crawled back under, flipped the light on. Like, no, it's still blurry, and I literally felt like I wanted to push the truck up just enough so that it would get clear, and then it hit me. I'm getting old. Like, literally in that second, I thought, oh my gosh, this literally just happened to me. I got old overnight, and it happened so fast. I mean, one day I was fine, I was reading, I was looking at stuff, and the next day I couldn't. So now, uh, I have context in it, and I can see distance, but whenever I want to read, I have to put glasses on, because as soon as I get inside of about 18 inches, everything is fuzzy. Well, the story we're gonna look at in the scripture today has to do with a guy who was born blind. Can you imagine that? I mean, you and I, most of us, have had the chance, whether we have glasses or contacts, uh, or we have great vision, to be able to see this amazing world that God's created. This guy, in the account that we're about to read in the scripture, he never saw the world his entire life. And this account is the story of Jesus giving him back his sight but it's so much more than Jesus healing a blind man. So I want you to grab your copy of God's Word, whether it is a digital copy on your cell phone or your tablet. You're looking it up online. Uh, scroll down until you hit the Gospel of John. It's in the New Testament: Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. If you're in a paper Bible like me, I want you to open up. It's about probably two thirds of the way through. It's in the New Testament. John chapter nine is where we're going to pick up and live this morning, and it's an amazingly powerful account of Jesus. Changing Changing somebody's life. So, John chapter 9, verse 1 is where we're going to pick up and we're going to read through verse 11. As he went along, and it's talking about Jesus in this passage, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. Having said this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing Now his neighbors and those who had formerly seen him began asking each other, isn't this the same guy that used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was, and others said, no, he only looks like him. But he insisted, I'm the guy, I'm the man. How then were your eyes open, they demanded. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud, put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Now, this is an amazing account of a moment where Jesus healed a guy's vision. But not only did Jesus heal his vision, he saw the person and he cared about the person. So now, in in Jesus' culture, in his time, if you were blind, the only way that you could have survived was you would have had to beg. So there was an age where your family expected you to earn a living, and there was no social security, there was no disability, there was none of the things that we enjoy today. Uh, So they literally, to take care of themselves and make it in life, the only way a blind person could do that was to beg. And so he became known as the town beggar. What's interesting is, if you remember in the passage, even the people that know him didn't refer to him by name. They just referred to him. Isn't that the guy that used to sit and beg? Right? Somehow he'd lost his humanity. Now I want you to go back to the first verse in here, in verse 1. And I want you to circle the word saw. It says that Jesus saw him. That word, not, it doesn't just mean the fact that like, oh, there he is kind of seeing like you and I would see. The word is actually interpreted to say that Jesus kind of knew, knew him. New things about the guy. Now, obviously, Jesus is God, but Jesus saw him in a different way. See, culture had labeled this guy, well, he, he's just the beggar, right? They'd taken his humanity. They, they just called him the beggar. And when Jesus saw him, he saw past the label and past the struggle, and he saw him for who he really was. Now, here's what I want you to hear, church. Some of us need to know today That God sees you, not your struggle, not the issues that have happened to you in 2020, not the tough stuff that you've walked through. God sees you and loves you exactly as you are. See, what culture wants to do is culture wants to throw a label on you and I and wants us to be known by the struggle that we have, right? Oh, oh, that's the single parent. They're the ones that always struggle, that they're always late, they're always making it. They're, They're just the single parents, or that's the guy that's divorced. That's the guy that went through a tough divorce. Or that's, that's the druggie in the family. That's the alcoholic in the family, right? That's the black sheep of the family. And what culture wants to do to you and I is culture wants to place a label on us that somehow becomes our identity. Some of us had a really tough year. Some of us lost jobs in this year. Some of us lost family members to COVID. Some of us are struggling with alcohol abuse or drug abuse to deal with the stress of what we're going through in this year. And some of us have taken on the identity that we are that label, that we are that struggle. And what I want you to hear today is this truth. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Because of Jesus, my struggle does not define me. Okay? See what happened in this passage? Jesus says that as he went along, he saw the man, and he literally saw him for who he was. He saw the humanity, he saw the value, he saw the identity of who this is. And what I want you to hear today is that because of Jesus, your struggle and my struggle does no longer have to define who we are. What culture wants to tell you is that you are your struggle. You are an alcoholic. You are a divorced person. You are a drug addict. You are a porn addict. You are all these things. You are a deadbeat dad or a deadbeat mom. That is not who you are, church. You need to hear this. What scripture actually tells us is that you and I are deeply loved children of an all-powerful God That he called us and created us with purpose and meaning and a hope in our lives. And so before we go any further in this scripture, I want you to understand no matter what happened to you in 2020, that's not who you are. You're a son or daughter of an all-powerful God who deeply loves you, created you, designed you, called you to live out a life of purpose and hope and meaning. And that's the reason that Jesus came. See, the whole point of the gospel, the whole point of this scripture that we look at all the time is to remind us of why Jesus Christ came into this world. I want you to flip over in your scripture, uh, book of Isaiah chapter 61. In verse 1, Isaiah is a Jewish prophet who lived about 700 years before Jesus. And a prophet is somebody who would tell the future of what was going to happen. And in one of his prophecies, he's talking about Jesus and what the Messiah would do. And here's what he says. Isaiah 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. He's talking about Jesus. Because God has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. So if you're brokenhearted at the end of 2020, what you need to hear is that Jesus Christ came to heal what broke your heart. He says he came to proclaim freedom to the captives. So if you're locked into an addiction, if you're locked into a struggle, you need to hear that Christ came, lived on this earth, died on the cross, rose from the dead to give you freedom to walk in the life that God's called you to. And then he says, he came to proclaim freedom to the captives and release from darkness the prisoners. Another uh, meaning for that word prisoners is those who are blind. So Christ came, church, the whole purpose of this season that you and I just got done celebrating is to remind us that Christ came to speak freedom and hope into our lives. So don't allow the label that culture's given you to define who you are. Because of Jesus, you and I do not have to be the label. We don't have to live with that struggle. Now, let's get back into the scripture together. So look down at verse 2. Jesus sees this man, for who he really is, as a person deeply valued by God. His disciples, verse 2, also see this guy, but they see the label. And so they ask Jesus a really curious question. His disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, in order to understand the question, I think it's important for us to understand a little bit about Jewish culture. The Jews understood the moral integrity of God, right? Morality is there is a right and there is a wrong. Morality is there is a creator God who has defined what is right and what is wrong. So the Jews understood that God was a moral God. But it was a really simple understanding of that morality. And what they understood was, if your life is going well, you're obviously doing the right thing, and so you're blessed of God. If you're struggling, if you're facing a difficulty, if something's going wrong in your life, then you must have done something wrong because God is therefore punishing you. It's interesting how that, that ancient way of thinking about morality is still so much a part of our culture today, Right? Sometimes we, we can look at our friends or our family members or our coworkers or our neighbors and we can go, well, their, their life is doing really good. Obviously, God loves them. And we can look at some of the struggles we have and we go, well, me, God must be punishing me because my life doesn't look like that, right? Facebook is kind of the highlight reel of everything, so we can look at people's highlight reels and we can go, well, they, they have their life together. They must be doing good. God must love them. And yet we look at our our, our non-highlight real right and we go well maybe God's punishing us and so that's the mentality that the disciples used in asking this question now let's chase that mentality for a moment because the the trouble with that mentality is what what do you do when you have people men and women families who deeply love God who are committed to serving God who are living lives of faith and yet they struggle Maybe there's a disease. Maybe there's an issue. Maybe there's a conflict within the family. But you've got men and women that are deeply serving God, committed, loving God, and yet they're struggling. That's where that argument begins to fall apart. Or even the opposite side of that argument, which is, what do you do with people that are so far from God? They're pursuing everything the world has. They're anti-God, and yet it seems like they're prospering. So, We want to dig a little bit in the scripture to begin to understand this. The scripture actually kind of gives us several reasons as to why you or I might be struggling. One of them is very definitely that there are times where you and I sin, right? We, we do something wrong. Sin is, sin is an archery term. It means I missed the mark, right? So I, so I aimed at what God was calling, but instead I chose my own way and I missed. I disobeyed God's commandment. That's sin. So scripture tells us that while God forgives the penalty of sin, if we ask him, Right? Romans, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. So um, while he forgives the penalty of sin, which the scripture says penalty of sin is death. So while he gives, forgives the penalty of sin, the consequence of sin, the result of me, me disobeying God, there are times where God allows us to face the consequences of our sins. So if, if, if I have an affair on my wife, the consequence of that sin is that I'm going to struggle in my marriage. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be issues. There's going to be challenges. That's a consequence. The penalty of the sin is what is forgiven by Christ's work on the cross. But the consequence is what I still face. If I'm an alcoholic, right then the consequence of that is it's going to mess up me, it may mess up my job, it may mess up my employment, it's going to mess up my family, it's going to mess up my relationships. So there are times where God definitely does forgive the penalty, but allows us to face the consequence of our sin. Now the scripture also teaches, though, something that we need to understand, which is sometimes the bad stuff, the difficult stuff, the struggles, the brokenness is not a result of something that you and I did. Now, the disciples obviously lived inside of a world where everything was the result of what we did. But you need to hear this, church. Sometimes you and I are going to go through a tough season of life, which is the result of living in a broken world, not the result of something that you and I did. And it's tough because we need to go back to God and say, God, is this something that you're allowing in my life because I stepped outside of your will or is it simply the result of living in a broken world? We know the Genesis account, right? Adam and Eve walked away from God's plan. The world was, was broken, and the reason that Christ came back was to redeem this broken world. But here's what you need to hear. Sometimes the challenges you and I face, some of the challenges you went through in COVID, some of the challenges you went through as a family in 2020, those are not the result, perhaps, of a sin in your life. They're a result of the fact that you're living in a broken and a busted up world. And you need to hear that. So the disciples assumed that somehow this guy or his parents had screwed up, and so God was punishing him. Now, there is a third reason that you and I sometimes walk through difficulties, and I want to get into that in this next verse. Here's Jesus' response to the question, hey, who screwed up? Verse 3, Jesus says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Now, this is kind of a difficult passage to understand, so I'm going to walk through it with you. The Scripture teaches, church, that there are times where you and I are going through a difficulty, not because we sinned, not because we just live in a broken world, but because God is allowing that to happen in our lives to bring himself glory. That's the teaching of this passage. And sometimes you and I can look at that and we can go, wait, wait a minute, that's not fair. Right? That's not fair. That doesn't make sense. Why would God let me struggle to bring him glory? God, that's not fair. Because in our culture, we understand fair this way. If I do good, if I try to follow Jesus, if I'm living right, then my life should be good. But what does the scripture teach us? The scripture actually teaches us that when we're following Jesus, we're going to have struggles. The Bible says you are going to have struggles. I don't know how much clearer Jesus can be. But our culture says to us, wait a minute, our struggle bringing God honor, that doesn't feel fair to us right and what feels fair is if i'm being obedient to jesus and i'm following him then god should take care of me and that's not what the teaching of this passage is the teaching of this passage is that there are some times when god allows tough stuff in your life and in my life because the sole purpose of that is to bring him honor and glory by how he works it out and we wrestle with that truth So in order to understand that truth, I think we have to step back a little bit from the passage, and we have to go back to kind of a foundational question, which is, why are you and I here? What is the purpose of our lives? See, culture teaches me the purpose of my life, the reason I'm here on this earth, is because I'm supposed to get everything out of this life that I can. It's all about me. Right? It's about my happiness. It's about my joy. It's about my fulfillment. It's about me getting every possible thing for me. Advertising is that way. Commercials are that way. The culture is driven by me wanting more for me. My best life now. And where culture runs head-on into the teaching of Jesus is right here in this concept because the Bible actually teaches a very different perspective. See, the Bible teaches that from the very beginning of creation, the purpose of life, the reason you and I are here in this world is because we were created to bring God honor and glory. That's it. Nothing else. You and I are put here on this earth. We live the lives we live. We're designed by God. We're created by him on purpose to bring him glory, and that's it. This is not a new concept this is all the way through the scripture so Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 13 Ecclesiastes is actually written by a Jewish king his name is Solomon he was the wisest man that ever lived he wrote this book at the end of his life and at the end of the book Ecclesiastes 12 13 he writes this he says hey um, here's the conclusion of the matter When everything else has been talked about and said and discussed until we're just tired of it, we beat the horse to death. We're done with the conversation. When everything comes to its end, here's the purpose of man. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's it. You and I are put here to honor and glorify God, Period. Now Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul speaks the same thing. He says that you and I are chosen by God. We're predestined. In other words, God knew in advance what was going to happen to us. And he placed us here, Paul says, for the praise of his glory. That's it. The Westminster Confession is a, um, a document that was put together early in the church's history Around the basic belief system of the church and in the Westminster Confession the first question in there is what is the chief end of man and the answer is again based on this biblical concept the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. So here's what you and I need to understand as we look ahead to 2021, church, if we're going to face a challenge in our lives, sometimes those challenges come so that how you and I live them out and how God chooses to deal with them in our lives, the purpose of that is to bring honor and glory to God, and that's it. Sometimes the problems are us-caused. Sometimes the problems are part of a broken world that we live in. But sometimes, like in this case, They're allowed by God to bring him honor and glory. Now When John writes this letter He tells us at the end of the book in John chapter 20 that everything that's written in here is to prove to us That Jesus Christ is the Messiah that Jesus is who he says he is and in believing that Jesus is who he says he is Then you and I would find that life, right? so This passage, this story, every single one of the miracles in here is a physical miracle. So something that we can see and talk about that illustrates a spiritual concept or spiritual truth. It's no different in here. This is not just a story about Jesus giving back a man his sight. There's a much deeper truth in here and we begin to see that in verse 4. So verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. And then verse 4, we start to see the spiritual application. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Now, we have to know, is the whole Gospel of John... Is about the fact that Jesus is the light of the world he brings life and he brings light and life to get rid of the darkness so what Jesus is actually saying in this teaching is the whole purpose of me being here is to bring spiritual sight to the spiritually blind to open people's eyes to who God is and why he actually came and what his call is on our lives. So here's what I want you to write down for point number two, okay? Jesus came to heal what is most broken in me. Jesus came to heal what is most broken in me. Now, in this passage, and we're about to see it, uh, Jesus is gonna physically heal this guy's sight. And I would love to tell you That The teaching of this passage can be applied to your life and mine meaning Jesus is going to heal every physical issue that we have But that is simply not true. That's not the teaching of Scripture There is a full and complete healing that happens But often it happens when we're in heaven with Jesus. We get a new body. We're with him. There's no more pain There's no more issues, but in this life. We are going to struggle now. How do I know that? I'll tell you a little bit about our family so in my family, just my immediate family, my dad has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is a form of cancer. I talked to him a day today over video, and he's, he's right now in treatment for non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Now, it's not that we haven't prayed and asked God to take that away. It's that God's chosen not to take it away yet, and perhaps he's doing that for his purpose and his glory. So my job is just to continue to pray for my dad and to wait on God's timing. I don't always understand God's timing. I don't always agree with God's timing. But it's God's timing and God's purpose. So my dad has non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He's had it for 12 years. Uh, I think he's in his ninth round of things to treat this non-Hodgkin's. My mom has chronic migraines. It's had them for almost all of her adult life. They're debilitating. They knock her out sometimes for two or three days at a time. It's not that we haven't prayed for God to take those away. It's not that we haven't believed in faith. God's chosen not to. My brother, Mark, and my aunt, Mary, have MS. If you know anything about MS, it's a debilitating muscular disease that basically makes it so that your body doesn't function like it's supposed to. Both of them have that. It's not that we haven't prayed for God to take that away. It's that God's chosen not to. Now, God may be working his purpose and his glory through that particular struggle. I don't know. I know in my family I've seen God do some amazing things using the testimony of my parents and what they've walked through to bring people closer to Jesus. Now I have probably the least issue I have kidney stones and if any of you have ever had kidney stones uh, you know they're ugly right now I have a kidney stone in my left kidney that's about the size of a marble okay my biggest kidney stone was the size of a golf ball and there was a four-day period of time where I had surgery and I looked like a cyborg I had tubes sticking out of my back and all kinds of places trying to get rid of these kidney stones this is kidney stone number 55 55 I'm going for a whole gravel driveway. That's my plan. the end of the time, I'm going to stick gravel (laughs) all over my driveway. But all of us have these struggles, church, right? And sometimes in those struggles, we can ask ourselves, God, why aren't you fixing this for me? And we have to be willing to wait on God's timing. But here's what I want you to catch from this second point, okay? Jesus came to fix what is most broken in you and I. And what we tend to think is most broken is our physical issue or our relationships or the things that are going on around us right now. And what Jesus just said to his disciples in this passage is the truth of scripture. What is most broken about your world and mine is sin. That's why Jesus Christ came. That's why he was born. That's why he died on the cross. That's why he rose from the dead. To speak forgiveness and grace and hope into a broken world. What is most broken in our world is you and I by sin. So what Jesus came to repair in our broken world, and he does it and he offers it to you and to I and to everybody else, is forgiveness for our sins and a new identity in Christ. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times where God heals because I've seen God do incredible things and seen amazing healings. But there are moments when he doesn't and I don't want you to get discouraged by those moments. Okay? I want you to understand what is most broken in you and I and what God promised for every single one of us to heal and restore is what sin broke in us. That relationship with a holy and a perfect God. So now, let's keep going in this thing. Verse 6 After telling them, this is why I came. Okay, I'm the light of the world. Verse 6. Having said this, he spit on the ground, and he made some mud with his saliva, and he put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, and wash in the pool of Siloam. The word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home, seeing. Now, I can imagine what's going through this guy's mind, right? He's blind from birth. Jesus sees him. He's talking back and forth with his disciples. This guy would have been hearing what's going on. And then Jesus puts something on his eyes. Now remember, the guy can't see, so he's clueless as to what's going on. He's probably heard about Jesus, and he's heard about the miracles. And so Jesus puts this on his eyes and then tells him, go and wash in this pool. Now, The Pool of Siloam is actually a pool that's on the inside wall of the city of Jerusalem. King Hezekiah, who's one of the Jewish kings, built this underground water transport from outside the city to the inside of the city, and it fed this pool of Siloam, and the word means sent, okay? So one of the prophecies about Jesus was that he was sent by God to bring back sight to the blind. So perhaps the reason Jesus sent him there was a, was a picture fulfillment of the biblical prophecy, now, why did he make the mud? I don't, I don't know why he made the mud. Most of the time when Jesus healed somebody, what he would do is he would reach out and touch them or he would just literally speak the word and the person was healed. But in this case, he bent down, he spit in the ground, he made some mud, and then he put it on the guy's eyes. Now, it may have been a reference back to the Genesis 2 account where God created man. If you remember in Genesis 2, God formed man from the dirt, the dust of the ground, and breathed into him a breath of life. So it may be that Jesus did this to illustrate the fact that he truly is the Messiah. But however he did it, he put this on the guy's eyes. And what I want you to catch is there's a step of obedience that ultimately led to this man's healing. Now if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down for your third question. Am I willing to submit to God's leadership? Am I willing to submit to God's leadership? See, in this case, what happened with this guy is Jesus said, Hey, go and wash, and when you go and wash, you'll be able to see. There's always a connection within the Scripture between my obedience and God's work. Okay, we're called as followers of Christ to be obedient to what God calls us to. And we see this all the way through the scriptures. And so when obedience follows, God's blessing begins to happen in our lives. So here's what I want you to catch from this story and learn from this story. Is following Jesus in 2021 is about being obedient to what he's called you to. Okay? Now, in this case, it was simply go wash and you'll be able to see. But as we apply this to our lives and we look forward to what 2021 has for us, here's what I want you to, to see, church. Whether you understand the call of God or not, whether you agree with what God's inviting you into or not, the question is, will you be obedient with it? Okay? Let's take that really practical. When you get into 2021, you're still going to have the stresses on your family men that were there from 2020. Some of you lost your job. Some of you are struggling in difficult jobs. Some of you are being underpaid for the work that you're doing. Um, There's a lot of stress in the home. Being obedient to the call of God in 2020 looks like this. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, be patient with your kids. Husbands, lead spiritually in your home. So the question going into 2020 is, do we want to be obedient to what God calls us to do in spite of the challenges that are still facing us? Right? Same thing, ladies. God's, God's calling you to be obedient and to follow him. So as you go into 2020... Um, Are you going to speak ugly about people? Are you going to judge? Are you going to gossip around things? Are you, if you're married, going to respect your husbands? Are you going to co-lead with them in the marriage that God's called you to? Are you going to remain faithful to them? Kids in the same way, right? Disney and Nickelodeon has taught us that our parents are stupid and kids are the smartest people in the house. But obedience to the gospel in 2021 looks like this. Kids, obey your parents. Children, respect your parents. you know God actually put your parents there to teach you what this relationship looks like? So am I willing to submit to God's leadership in my life? Means no matter what's going on in my life in, in 2020 and the struggles that I've faced or the things that I've learned, am I willing to step into 2021 in a place of obedience? Let's get really practical here. It means that you and I choose to live our lives aligned behind the gospel. We do what the scripture calls us to do. So as we we catch the end of this story, and I, I love the end of this story because it truly illustrates for us that this is not just a story about Jesus healing a blind person. It's actually a story about Jesus speaking a brand new identity into this guy and into you and I. So verse 35, this man has been kicked out now of the Jewish temple because the Jewish leader said uh, we don't know who Jesus is. We don't believe in him. You need to get out of here and stop talking about him. So Jesus actually finds him later in the story and this is what happens. Verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out and when he found him he said do you believe in the son of man? Who is he sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said you have now seen him. In fact he is the one speaking to you. The man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Here's the hope, church. No matter what happened in 2020, no matter what labels culture threw on you and I, because of what Jesus Christ did, we're not defined by those labels, right? This guy was known as the person who's blind. You and I are struggling with some labels right now. You're not defined by those labels because of what Jesus did. When you walk out of 2020 and you walk into 2021, you are a son and daughter of an all-powerful God who's called you to a life of purpose and meaning. You are not the struggle. The struggle is part of your life, but it does not define you, okay? And you and I need to remember in the craziness that is our world that Jesus Christ came to heal what is most broken in our culture. That's our heart. That's spiritually our relationship with Christ. So you and I can walk confidently into 2021 knowing that we have a relationship with an all-powerful God, that He loves us deeply, and He's called us into that relationship. So no, no matter how lonely, no matter how desperate, no matter how isolated we feel, we are loved by an all-powerful God, and He fixed, He came to fix what is broken in us. And our response to that. Is the question am I gonna let God lead when I go into 2020 no matter what I face am I gonna take the teaching of Scripture and I'm gonna hold it in front of me and say my actions and my life and my future are defined by what I read in these pages I'm gonna choose to live obediently in relationship to Christ and I'm gonna walk into 2021 in a place of hope in a place of a future in a place of believing in God in His providence And I'm going to do it with confidence. That's the opportunity that sits in front of you and I as we walk out of a tough year and into an uncertain future is that God is faithful, that he remains faithful, and he walks with us. Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you for the truth and the teaching of your word today. We thank you that you are the all-powerful Creator God. That we don't walk through this life isolated and separated from you. Instead, God, we walk closely with you if we're, as we're invited into that relationship. You're faithful to us. You meet our needs. You come and you dwell with us. God, I pray for courage as we face what is next in this year. There's so much uncertainty still out there. What is going to happen? What is the future going to look like? What's, what's 2021 going to be? God, remind us of your faithfulness. Let us live in the identity that you've given us as sons and daughters of an all-powerful God. And let us move confidently in that closeness with you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, Blessings Church, enjoy your New Year's Eve celebrations and uh, have a great New Year's. We will see you in 2021.
3: because they low-